0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So my wife, Pat, and I took our Christmas tree down early this year, on the sixth day of Christmas season. Now, this may not seem newsworthy to you, but it is a bit of a scandal in our household. I tend to be a purist when it comes to observing the Christmas season. And to purists, the tree cannot come down until the Feast of the Epiphany, when the 12 days of Christmas, as you heard in my children's story, are officially over. At least that has been my practice in years past. But these are not normal times, are they? The truth is that my enthusiasm for celebrating Christmas this year just ran out of gas. Now, I know that may be somewhat scandalous for a pastor to say, but I'm speaking the truth. My hope had been that vaccines and boosters would allow for a relatively robust Christmas season this year, but alas, Delta and Omicron had other plans for us. To be sure, unlike last year, we were able to hold in-person Christmas Eve services at my little seasonal church in Manchester on Cape Ann. But our capacity was dramatically limited. Face masks were required. Singing was a little more restrained than usual. And many folk, frankly, were just too skittish to come where there might be a large crowd. And so we tended to have somewhat smaller attendance. Far from being Christmas as usual, this holiday season was one of, how do I put it, dashed expectations. But perhaps, perhaps, it's my expectations that are the problem. I've become so accustomed in my life to the festive, fun, and comfortable Christmas celebrations of my very privileged American life, that I tend to forget that holiday cheer is not exactly the point of the incarnation of God becoming human in Christ. I also need to remind myself that whatever struggles I am enduring in the midst of this seemingly relentless pandemic, they pale in comparison to what most people in this world face each and every day. And frankly, that's one of the reasons we read the Bible when we come to church on Sundays, because reading the Bible gives us perspective, important perspective on our own experience. For what Scripture teaches us time and time again is that whatever challenge we may be facing in our life, whatever loss we may be feeling, whatever pain we may be suffering, God's people have been here before. And scripture teaches us that God's faithful presence has carried his people through whatever experience they've endured. So this morning, for example, our Bible gives us an unlikely source of Christian hope in the voice of the prophet Jeremiah. Now I say unlikely because if you know Jeremiah, He's usually reserved for penitential times of year when we need to hear a bellowing baritone of judgment and wrath. If you ever read the book of Jeremiah from start to finish, you know what I mean. He is, for the most part, a prophet of doom and gloom. Suffice it to say that the word Jeremiahd in English comes from his name. It's a word that means a doleful and thunderous denunciation. And the reason that we use the word Jeremiah is because Jeremiah's book is filled with doleful and mournful denunciations, prophetic, prophetic words of the final days. But there is another softer side to Jeremiah. Tucked discreetly inside the book of Jeremiah, there are four. Chapters, often called the Book of Consolations, and this is from which our lesson today comes, from part of Jeremiah's Book of Consolations. Now, the historical context for these verses is important. Jeremiah was presented with one of the greatest crises in the history of the Hebrew people, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 586 B.C., and the people's displacement from their home in Judah to Babylon. This is what we now call the Babylonian exile. And when I talk to people about the destruction of the temple, it's hard to convey to them what a dramatic event this was. I mean, we think in this country of things like September 11th and the Twin Towers coming or a a dramatic kind of cataclysm like that. But however horrendous that event was, the temple had been in Jerusalem for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was regarded as the place where God dwelt. It was literally the center of the universe for the Hebrew people. And so for this temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed utterly, And for the people to be thrown out of their homeland and held in captivity in Babylon, not just for a year or two years, but for decades, was incomprehensible. And it's in this context that Jeremiah is writing. This experience of exile presented a terrifying crisis of faith for God's people, precisely because they felt abandoned by God. How could God let this happen? For generations, they had been telling the story that we hear from Exodus, the story, the foundational narrative of a God who had led them out of captivity in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. And of course, Moses then received the law from God as a moral guide, and then through their kings, especially David and Solomon, this great temple in Jerusalem had been erected. The story seemed to be coming to this great crescendo. How could God then let this temple be destroyed? It was hard to imagine. The temple in ruins, the holy city leveled, the people being scattered, they they understandably began to question their God. So whatever suffering we have endured these past two years, and it has been real, the suffering of this pandemic and the isolation it's created and the illness and the death, these are terrible things. Yet, this experience, honestly, pales in comparison to what God's people in the time of Jeremiah We're facing. So what does Jeremiah tell his people in the midst of all this this bleakness? Well, that is what the lesson we heard today tells us. Sing aloud with gladness, Jeremiah says, for the Lord will gather the people up once again and restore this beloved community. I am going to bring them from the farthest parts of the earth Among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor, together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, will keep him as a shepherd of a flock. They will come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give them gladness for sorrow. That was God's promise 2,700 years ago to his people In the deserts of Judah and this is God's promise to us today as we begin a new year but there's more there's so much more for what Jeremiah did not fully understand in his time was that God's plan for saving his people would not end with a mere promise for better days ahead no God's love of his beleaguered people would not rest until he offered them His own flesh and blood, Son, to dwell among them, to restore their brokenness, to heal them, and to offer them a new way of being human in the world. As John put it in our gospel text today so memorably, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. What we have to sustain us in our own time then is not just the biblical promise of great prophets like Jeremiah. What we have is the living word itself. God become human in Jesus, who is present every time two or three of us gather, as we are gathered here right now. Jesus is with us. The true meaning of Christmas, you see, has more to do with God's loving determination to be present to human need in Christ than with baubles or trinkets on the tree or even with churches packed to the rafters with singing worshipers. So even though this year and last year we weren't able to gather in the usual ways for our Christmas celebrations, That does not mean that God was not present to us in every way in Christ Jesus. Indeed, when we're vulnerable and when we're in need and when we are feeling pain, that's when God tends to be most present. And so he is today. And nobody taught this truth more compellingly in my view, than did Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who passed away this last week and entered life eternal.
1: And of his many
0: books that grace my library shelves, one of my favorites is the slender paperback entitled God Has a Dream. And I tend to pull this off the shelf whenever I'm feeling a little low or a little Mm -hmm. discouraged. And I read the beginning of it, and it always lifts my spirits. And this is what Tutu writes in the beginning of that book. It's in the form of a letter. Dear child of God, Tutu begins, I write these words because we all experience sadness. We all come at times to despair, and we all lose hope that the suffering in our lives and in our world seem to never end. I want to share with you my faith and my understanding that this suffering can be transformed and redeemed. There is no such thing as a totally hopeless case. Our God is an expert at dealing with chaos, with brokenness, with all the worst we can imagine. God created order out of disorder, cosmos out of chaos, and God can do so always, can do so now, in our personal lives and in the lives of the nations. The most unlikely person, the most improbable situation, Tutu goes on, these are all transfigurable. They can be turned into their glorious opposites. Indeed, God is transforming the world now through us, whether we know it or not, because he loves us. Tutu concludes by saying this. This is not wishful thinking or groundless belief. It is my deep conviction based on not only my reading of the Bible, not only of history, it is born out of my own experience in South Africa in the struggle against apartheid and by what I have seen throughout the world we are in the grips of a transformation that continues forwards and backwards in ways that sometimes lead to despair, but ultimately to redemption. Yes, there is evil in the world, and we mustn't be starry-eyed and pretend that isn't so. But evil is not and will never be the last word. And the reason we know this to be true is because of the victory of love over hate in Christ Jesus. Those words from Desmond Tutu are words to live by, my friends. And over the next several months that we will be together, I hope that we can help each other to remember them, no matter how dark, or unsettled, or chaotic the world may seem. God is with us. God will not abandon us. God will make all things new. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. Part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.